Thank you. Good afternoon and welcome to the North Carolina Court of Appeals. Um, I'm Judge Hunter Murphy. To my right, Judge Jeff Carpenter. To my left, Judge Jefferson Griffin. I want to thank our clerk today, Eddie Sanders, for being here and our court marshal, Richard Rimillard. We are here with only one case on this afternoon, 22-447, Torres versus City of Raleigh and Hall. And if the appellant is ready, we will be with you. Thank you, Your Honor. Good afternoon, Your Honors. Uh, and I think you had mentioned to the clerk you'd like to reserve about 10 minutes. Yes, sir. And I let every side know I'm, I'm a little bit loose with, with the clock, so if we have questions, we can keep going and not be completely under the gun. So, Thank you, Your Honor. You're welcome. Uh, Your Honor, my name is Hunt Joy. I'm a deputy city attorney for the city of Raleigh. I represent the defendant's appellant, uh, the city of Raleigh and Marty Hall. Um, the case before you um, presents uh, the underlying question of whether a municipal employee's mission can change from one related to a proprietary function to uh, that of a governmental function. Uh, the appellant's defendant contend that the answer to that uh, question is yes. And secondarily, whether the trial court uh, applied the correct standards set forth in Providence Volunteer Fire Department versus Town of Weddington in deciding to uh, uh, deny the defendant's appellant's motion to dismiss on grounds that the court lacked jurisdiction uh, through governmental immunity. The defendant's appellant uh, contend that the answer that to that question is no. Um, the case itself arises from a motor vehicle collision that occurred on January 2nd, 2018 in the town of Zebulon in Wake County. Plaintiffs filed suit in 2020 claiming that the negligence of a city of Raleigh employee, uh, defendant Marty Lee Hall, uh, in his official capacity caused the accident and that the city of respons is responsible under the doctrine of respondeat superior. Relevant here, the city's answer and motion to dismiss asserted a jurisdictional basis uh, for dismissal of the city and Mr. Hall in his official capacity, that being governmental immunity. Defendants filed evidence in support of their motion to dismiss and the trial court permitted jurisdictional discovery on motion of the plaintiff, uh, following which the trial court conducted a hearing and denied defendant's motion to dismiss. The trial court also denied defendant's oral request to certify the issue of governmental immunity for appeal. And therefore, in December 2021, uh, defendant's appellant filed their notice of appeal from the order denying the motion to dismiss. The facts, uh, which are undisputed, are that the city of Raleigh operates a public utility that provides water to its residents. In early 2000, the city began entering interlocal agreements with other towns in Wake County to provide water uh, to those towns. In 2006, the city entered into an interlocal agreement with the town of Zebulon to supply water. On January 2nd, 2018, the city received a call regarding a leaking water main at 801 East Gannon Avenue in Zebulon. Uh, East Gannon Avenue is designated is the local designation for North Carolina Highway 97 in Zebulon. 801 East Gannon Avenue is also the address of a Murphy gas station located at the front of a Walmart parking lot near the intersection of North Carolina Highway 97 and U.S. Highway 264. The city dispatched Marty Hall, who was a public utilities senior senior utilities specialist whose duties included repair and maintenance of the city's water distri distribution infrastructure. 
Mr. Hall was familiar with the public water main at the location uh, of the reported leak and knew that it was installed on the right-hand side, the south side of Highway uh, 97 in Zebula. Mr. Hall drove uh, down Highway 97 toward the reported water main leak. As he approached that location, um, he was looking for signs of leaking water or spraying water on the right-hand side of Highway 97, but could see nothing. As he got to the point nearly adjacent to the Murphy gas station, however, he observed water spraying into the air from the Murphy gas station property on the left side of Highway 97. The water was, in fact, coming from a backflow assembly located on the private property owned or leased by Murphy. And he could see all that in that that small instant? Yes, sir. I think it was it was pretty obvious when a when a water main breaks, it is it really sprays a lot of water. Perhaps more importantly, what he could not see was water on the right hand side, and that also would have been pretty obvious. Um, Mr. Hall re realized at that point that he'd been dispatched based on erroneous information, that the water that the caller had assumed was coming from a leaking public water main was in fact coming from a privately owned backflow assembly located on private property. At that point, Mr. Hall had no duty to repair or maintain the privately owned equipment. He could have simply turned around and gone back, but instead, the, this was January 2nd, the temperature was below freezing, and the spraying water was causing ice to form on the roadway. Mr. Hall felt like he might be able to do something to stop the flow of water and therefore decided to see what he could do. And before he could, he began to initiate a left-hand turn and that's when the accident happened with the plaintiff. So was it wasn't his intent to stop off the, the city's flow? I guess whatever valve they had for the city's water? Well, in, inside the pipe, there is no distinction between fire service water and uh, public consumption water. It's all going through the same pipe, but then it branches off. Um, the only way to, for him to close it off would have been to stop off the uh, city's water main. Um, that wasn't that, and then the record said that that's what he was going to do. That was, that was his intent? Exactly. It was his intent to try to shut, shut off a valve on the city's water main to prevent the water from going into the uh, fire service line that was causing the leak, I'm sorry. Other than those in, in his position with the city, does anybody else have a legal right to access that shutoff point? Well, actually, as was made clear in um, the affidavit of Joanne Hartley, which is in the record, um, the, backflow the backflow prevention valve on the Murphy property belongs to the property owner, whether it be Murphy or whether they lease the property from another property owner. That backflow prevention valve has shut off valves on it, so to isolate that valve from the, the supply of water. Um, but he was turning around to, to turn off the, the city's valve. Correct, Your Honor, because he was not off, he's not authorized to touch private equipment, just like city workers don't come into our houses to work on things like toilets and stuff like that, because those are privately owned appliances and installations. So he was going to do what he could uh, to shut off the flow of water to prevent from icing Highway 97. Wouldn't that have some positive economic impact to the city and in their, by not wasting water that they've had to obtain by shutting that off? Uh, presumably. Or to prevent, you know, additional loss, even though it's being given away for free. Well, giving away 100 gallons for free is a lot different than giving away 5,000 because of something being busted. 
presumably there economic gain I, there for, for the city? Presumably it might, Your Honor. However, that was not his intent. His intent was not to save uh, the city's water or save the city's money, but to prevent icing from occurring on the roadway. Um, the, as I mentioned, the, uh, there's no requirement that fire lines be separate from potable water lines. Anytime a fire service uh, line is leaking anywhere, uh, it is uh, arguably wasting a municipality's water or, the, or whatever utility's water. Um, however, there's nothing the utility can do about that or the city can do about that because it's uh, a privately owned system at that point. And because the um, case law makes clear that water for fire suppression or firefighting is not metered, um, there's no way to even determine how much water uh, is being lost. And do you agree that I see in the appellee's brief at page nine, they, they have uh, Mr. Hall's job responsibilities, citing to record page 276, um, supervising crew of four other people, as well as repair, answer, emergency calls, installations, and investigations related to the water distribution system. That is correct, Your Honor, and that's what he was doing that morning um, until he got to the scene and realized that it was not the public water main that was actually leaking, but it was private infrastructure, and that does happen from time to time because people don't realize where the uh, line is between what is owned by the utility and what is owned by, uh, by the private property owner. So when the cutoff switch, I know we're going back to that, but the cutoff switch, is that on the, I'm not familiar with how those are set up, is it on the sort of city's water main or is it on that private, whatever his intent was to go try to shut it off? That I'm not sure, I suppose it can be done both ways. Uh, the main is the large diameter pipe that is uh, located within the city or whatever municipality's right of way. Um, and then off of that, uh, tapped in at uh, a T, is um, our, what's called service lines. And a valve can be located on a service line or on the main line. So that, that wasn't in the record anywhere about that distinction? I'm not sure that it makes a difference um, in terms of what he was intending to do. Uh, uh, he might not have kn even known exactly where the valves were located and probably would have had to go look for them. Well, if it's, I, I guess, if you're talking about intent, if he's operating on the actual main water line, I think that would have, you don't think that would have, have a difference on the, the analysis here? I don't believe that the actual mechanism makes a difference in terms of what a, um, what a public employee is uh, intending to do in terms of determining whether it's proprietary or, um, or governmental. Mr. Hall intended to operate a main on the, uh, operate a valve on the public main. However, uh, if he were, say, opening a public hydrant in order to flush contaminants uh, that had been spilled on the roadway. Um, obviously, that wouldn't be for the sale of water. That would be for public safety purposes. Uh, or a law enforcement officer who um, uh, uses his patrol vehicle to ram into someone uh, who is getting ready to unlawfully use deadly force. Uh, the officer has not been trained to use his patrol car that way. Or it could be a car, it could be a private, uh, individual's car or his own private car. Um, he hasn't been trained to do that. He hasn't, there's nothing in BLET, I'm sorry, the basic law enforcement training that uh, specifies that vehicles are to be used that way. Um, however, 
what, what's operative is the function that the public employee is performing rather than the means he chooses to perform it. Um, so in this case, uh, even though uh, Mr. Hall was going to use close the valve on the public main to prevent uh, harm to the public uh, in terms of the icing on the roadway, uh, his intent is what controls, not the mechanism by which he chose to, uh, to perform that. When Mr. Hall left home, home that morning in response to the call, uh, would you agree that that was the intent was to perform a proprietary function? I think that's right, Your Honor. I, I, we've conceded that if, if, this ha uh, if the motor vehicle had accident had happened, um, when Mr. Hall's sole intent was to respond to a leaking public water main, there would it'd be very difficult to uh, to uh, argue that uh, his intent had changed at that point. However, um, once he learned and observed the facts, letting him know that this was not a leaking public water main, at that point, I, uh, as I indicated, he had no duty. He could have just turned around, but he decided to act to protect the public from the icing roadway. Um, there are other instances in our law where um, the uh, a public employee can be confronted with circumstances that change their conduct from one that might be proprietary to one that might be governmental uh, or change their uh, the character of their conduct from being that of uh, being within the course and scope of their employment to not being within the course and scope of their employment. A public employee who decides to run by their house in the middle of the day uh, to let their dog out or what have you. Um, we. In law school, we learned that that employee was engaged in a frolic, and if they were to get into an accident while engaged in that frolic, they would no longer be within the course and scope of their employment. But the intent and purpose, even if it was to benefit this shutting off at, at the, the gas station, was still going to be to access the city-owned property, right? No, sir. Well, he, he would have had to use a city-owned valve right. to cut off the water. But the, the, piece of, the piece of equipment that was actually leaking and causing all the water to spray was privately owned, and he was not authorized to touch that whatsoever or to repair it or maintain it or what have you. Um, there were other folks there that clearly did not appear to know how to get the water to stop. Um, and he had a means of doing so and decided to see what he could do to help. Did the branch line that fed the fire apparatus, fire suppression apparatus, also feed the Murphy gas station? That I don't know, Your Honor. Uh, once the line goes onto private property, it could have been for the Walmart uh, that was in the shopping center. It could have been for one of the other outbuildings or the Murphy gas station, but it was clearly going off of the uh, public right-of-way and onto private property. The, the point of the question is once it gets to that distribution point, it could be proprietary or it could potentially be for governmental use if the fire department pulls up and, and attaches. We don't know. Is as you... Well, typically what it, uh, the fire suppression line is separate from the water line that would have supplied the toilets and drinking fountains and sinks and things like that. Um, the fire suppression line is a separate tap onto the main. If, if Mr. Hall had gotten there, saw there was no problem, and just simply did a U-turn and was heading back to, back to his stable, would 
that would every bit of his conduct be a proprietary function under those set of facts? I believe at the point that he discovered that there was uh, that there was nothing uh, proprietary to do, uh, I believe that's where his proprietary function would have ended, other than perhaps just uh, if it was his duty to then return the vehicle to uh, his workshop or what have you. That could be good, that could be um, considered. Um, well, I'm not exactly sure what that would be considered, but um, seems like that would be all proprietary. I mean, if that's if but for you know maintaining his his job description, but for maintaining that water line and service on it, that whole trip would be proprietary. Do you agree with that? I believe if there had been a water line to maintain, um, the entire trip would have been proprietary because it would have been pursuant to the city's sale of uh, water to consumers. But wouldn't that be why he was there if he went, even if it's a bogus call, right? I mean, but for that proprietary function, he wouldn't be there. Is that, is that fair to say? He would not have made the trip that morning other than the erroneous call. But if we say that perhaps he had learned uh, halfway to Zebulon that no, uh, they've looked at it again and it's not the water main, it's a, it's a, it's a, a leaking fire service uh, backflow, but it's spraying water all over the, the highway and ice is forming. Um, if he had continued on that point, I believe that it would be a, a governmental function at that point if his intent is to, to protect the public. So I believe what's, what's uh, important is the point at which he realizes that um, his conduct is no longer in furtherance of the sale of water to consumers. Okay. Even if we decided and held that you know, this intent could change during the middle of the trip and that's determinative on which theory we go under, um, how, how do we reconcile that with the trial judge's order uh, and, and his presumed findings under that order? Well, under the standard set forth in uh, Providence Volunteer Fire Department versus Town of Weddington, um, another case that uh, in which the defendant had raised the governmental immunity defense and moved to dismiss based on lack of jurisdiction, uh, the court said that uh, their review would be based upon the uh, it would be to determine whether the findings of fact by the trial court were supported by competent evidence. In addition, um, that the review would be dependent upon the procedural context confronting the court, and they set out three procedural contexts, the first being whether uh, the motion to dismiss was made without submitting any additional evidence at that point. They, the court would be confined to the allegations in the complaint. The second context would be if the uh, movement had submitted additional evidence challenging the existence of, uh, of uh, jurisdiction, but the non-movement did not respond with any competent evidence, in which case the court would um, not be uh, permitted to take the allegations of the complaint as true, and that um, any allegations in the complaint that were not controverted by the defendant's affidavit and all facts in the affidavit, which are uncontroverted because of the plaintiff's failure to offer evidence, would be, those would be the matters to be considered. The third context would be when both parties submit um, affidavits addressing the jurisdictional issues. Now, and that's the key here because I, uh, what the defendant's appellant believe is that the trial court um, believed that 
they were deciding this under category three. In other words, when both parties have submitted affidavits addressing the jurisdictional issues. However, uh, the defendant's appellant contend that this, isn't, this actually falls under category two because uh, the case law is clear that the court only determines the weight and sufficient, sufficiency of the evidence when both parties have submitted evidence addressing the personal jurisdiction issue. The only evidence that the plaintiff appellee submitted pertained to the cause of the accident. Uh, nothing having to do with the jurisdictional facts. Nothing having to do with the, whether the public water main was in fact located on the right side of the road. Nothing having to do with whether Mr. Hall actually knew the location of the public water main. Nothing having to do with where the private equipment was located versus the public infrastructure. And um, nothing that disputed Mr. Hall's testimony that he recognized that the water that was causing the icing on the road was not coming from the public water main, but was coming from the private equipment. But if, if we're dealing with an affidavit of somebody's subjective intent at the moment they're acting, there could never be an affidavit that would directly oppose that. I don't know what's going on in your mind right now. No one else does. So if that's what this case is going to turn on, then isn't all the other factors that could impeach that statement of intent be in response to that statement of intent in the affidavit? Well, I believe what's, uh, what supports Mr. Hall's affidavit and the crucial and essential jurisdictional facts in Mr. Hall's affidavit are what he observed and what he knew. He knew the location of the public water main. He observed that there was no water coming from the location of the public water main. What he observed was water coming from uh, the location of a, of a backflow prevention device that was located on private property. Um, having known that and understanding that, um, at that point he could not have intended to uh, do anything with regard to the um, to his the proprietary function of selling water. Um, there was no it, there was no need for him to. Well, is, is it that the water. proprietary function selling water? Is the proprietary function the operation of a profitable utility water utility system? As um, as this court has recognized, when the uh, when a municipality provides water for fire suppression, um, then it is not acting in the capacity in a proprietary capacity. It's acting in a governmental capacity, and that's but preventing the waste of water that could have gone to that or could have gone to other things. Is still part of that that for-profit analysis, is it not? I would not say it is because there's no way to even meter that water. The water that's going through the fire suppression line is not metered. There's no way to determine how, what volume of water was, was going through it. Um, and uh, there's, no, there's no effort being made by municipalities, to my knowledge, to go around and make sure that these things aren't leaking in, you know, sprinkler systems aren't leaking in buildings and things of that nature. Um, it's a as the name would suggest, um, it is a governmental function. It's a, it's a service provided to the, the public for public safety purposes. Um, whereas the sale of water is much different, where those lines are metered and the customers are billed according to how much water goes through the meter, whether they're wasting it, whether they're using it productively. Um, and uh, either way, they're going to be charged by the utility for the amount of water that goes through that meter. If we were to agree with the city of Raleigh that 
one's function can change from proprietary to governmental in the midst of things. What test would you propose or criteria would you ask that we consider in determining whether there has been that requisite change? Well, I think the change does, the, the law does support the change because the, the um, and I, I will answer your question, this is more in the way of preamble. The law I does. I understand it's off the hip and you're gonna have to think about it, I get it. The law does support the change um, as the, uh, cases cited in the defendant's appellant's brief show that it's not the, uh, the most common duties of the public employee. Um, a police officer, though uh, a public official and uh, whose duties always involve a governmental function, can end up doing something that is not in fact governmental. Um, fire, firefighters are the same way. I mean, we see firefighters from time to time that are standing in medians with the boot, collecting money for some sort of charity or something like that. Um, a, uh, and inversely, you can have uh, a police officer who is off duty, um, perhaps working at a, working a concession stand or something like that at the fair, making funnel cakes and things like that and suddenly be confronted with something uh, where they exercise their law enforcement authority. Um, now, we couldn't say that they were acting in their governmental capacity while they were making funnel cakes, but in that instance that they decide, I'm going to take law enforcement action, all of a sudden their actions become governmental. Um, and uh, the, the test to be employed, I believe, would be the same as in that case, is, is does the uh, public employee have the information to uh, reasonably conclude that their uh, that change in action is necessary or, um, or or reasonable under that circumstance, and uh, if so, were their actions consistent with that? Um, and um, I mean, it, in all of these cases, Your Honor, when we're trying to determine the reasonableness of a, of a public employee's conduct, whether it be uh, in taking, you know, police officers taking deadly force or things like that. We always have to evaluate uh, intent and, uh, and reasonableness, and I think the same type of standard would apply I guess here. I guess the issue that I'm struggling with here is intent is generally a question of fact to be determined by the jury, but jurisdiction is a question of law to be determined by the trial judge, and that's kind of the, the two arenas that are overlapping here. That's well, why I asked the, for criteria or a proposed test. Well, and uh, Your Honor, uh, again, if we were to consider um, similar cases where uh, the courts have to consider the existence of uh, something like intent, um, again, you know, looking at law enforcement action, um, you know, if, if an officer if an officer moves for moves for summary judgment or what have you, submitting affidavits that they observed this, they intended to do this, and there are no contrary affidavits. Uh, the court would not just say, well, because we don't know what was actually in your heart, we cannot take action on your motion for summary judgment. Uh, instead, what we'd look for is, um, in order to defeat that motion, we would look for uh, contrary competent evidence in the record. And that's what we believe is lacking here because it took the form of a general attack on credibility, but was not, was based on a single event that occurred after the jurisdictional facts had been established. And furthermore, the, a dispute as to what happened uh, does not prove untruthfulness. Um, 
and it being a single event that occurred after the jurisdictional facts had been established. You know, our, our law is set up so that we uh, are hesitant to judge uh, someone's conduct based on what they might have done in the past. Um, and this would be a situation where, well, where we believe that the trial judge decided that because there was a dispute as to Mr. Hall's credibility as to event, as to a single event that occurred after the jurisdictional facts had been established, that therefore we could not believe his testimony regarding the jurisdictional facts. There was no evidence that uh, uh, impacted his credibility or, or reliability um, prior to the jurisdictional facts. And again, this was a single instance. Uh, you know, if someone, if the plaintiff had presented evidence that Mr. Hall had had promised his daughter that he would buy her a pony, but had never done so. Um, would that be sufficient to say that his, his that he's not able to, to uh, execute an affidavit as to something having to do with his job? Um, the plaintiff didn't, has never challenged whether Mr. Hall could have seen what he uh, said in his affidavit, whether he knew the things that he said he knew in his affidavit, whether the uh, equipment was as it was described in Mr. Hall's affidavit, and the ownership of the equipment was as he described in his affidavit. Instead, they've just made a blanket attack as to credibility based again on this single instance that occurred after the jurisdictional event uh, facts had been established. And if that were the case, when could this court ever accept an affidavit in support of a uh, motion to dismiss or motion for summary judgment? Because there, there would always be that question. Um, and then we, we I'm not sure that we, we, we could offer it, use it. We would send it to the jury because it's a question of fact to be weighed and determined by the jury uh, on a motion for summary judgment. Thank you, sir. And um, beating into you a lot of time, but we'll plan on giving you about five more five minutes for rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. And please the court. I'm William Plyler. I'm here with Rob Rader and Will Webb. Uh, we're members of the Wake County Bar. Uh, we represent the plaintiff in this action, uh, Ms. Santa Torres. Uh, I want to address a few of the questions that were raised and uh, points by the court before I address some of those. I think the the questions raised by the court are the exact arguments that uh, I intend to make or, or intended to make. Uh, and I think the hypotheticals, uh, particularly the hypothetical where, as Mr. Choi, as the city acknowledges, uh, he could have just driven back to the uh, shop had he, uh, according to the city, had he chosen to do so because he had nothing to do, they say, with this uh, rupture on the private property. So if he had made, they've conceded that on his way there, it was a proprietary function. Had he made the, said, well, I don't have anything to do with this. I'm just going to go on back to the shop. If his trip there to respond to a reported leaking main, leak in the main was proprietary, then obviously his return from that location, having reported uh, to that, for that leak, reported leaking main 
would be proprietary as well. I mean, it can't just be one way. So if he makes a U-turn, decides not to stop, it's proprietary. And so what the uh, appellant is asking the court to do is say whether some uh, municipality engaged in an admitted, proprietary, acknowledged, well-established proprietary function where the employee is acting within the course and scope of his employment, that immunity is going to hinge on the purported subjective intent of, uh, of tensions of what he intended to do, not what he did do, what he intended to do at some future point in time, all given after the fact, when these expressions of intention are given after the fact. In other words, if he had testified at his deposition that I had nothing to do with this leak and it was my intention to make a U-turn and return to the shop then it would be proprietary function and uh, there'd be no immunity. But because he testified uh, it was my intention once I saw the rupture uh, not to return to the shop, rather it was to stop and try to help. Then the government, or the city argues there's governmental immunity. It's not logical, it's not workable. Uh, there's uh, simply no uh, and there's no case law to support it. The point about the, the fire line, the city argues it was a fire line, the, the whole purpose of the fire, uh, uh, a fire line being a governmental function is when it's at the other end, when a fireman uh, somehow allegedly uses too much water and damages property or uh, sprays water on something and somebody later slips on the ice if it forms and they're saying well that a fireman is a and firemen are governmental they're protected by immunity and if they're using water and they damage somebody then they're protected by governmental immunity but only conservative conserving fire water that's a I would submit it's a totally different thing particularly in this case in this case, the city of Raleigh is not even providing fire water for its own citizens. It's hired out, it's signed a contract where it's charging people in Zebulon for their water in a condition of that is that they provide a non-metered line for fire in Zebulon. So yes, when that water is spewing on the street, that's water that Raleigh is not gonna get paid for. If it comes from a metered line, Raleigh would, could build a customer, but it's coming from it. So it's costing Raleigh money for this fire line to be leaking on the road. And if anything, the fire line is really not relevant. I mean, it, it is relevant for, for the exact opposite reason the city contends it is. It's relevant because they got a proprietary interest, an economic interest in making sure that this free water that they've cleaned and paid to clean, et cetera, et cetera. And, and get to that location doesn't spew onto the street. So, if let, anything, let me ask a, a question there because I, I know there's there's talk about this this backflow. Um, was it the backflow valve that wasn't working properly? Talk, talk to me a little bit about that and what the purpose of that device was. Right, and the the and I, I apologize. I I wish I, I wasn't aware now that you can present uh, exhibits on the screen and all here, but. In, in the record on appeal at 266, 
is, is the Google aerial map that was identified in Mr. Hall's deposition and used to kind of spell out where things were and what happened here. But in, in this exhibit, which is 2A to his deposition, uh, it shows the lay layout uh, of, the, of you know, what happened and where things were. The, the, for, if you're familiar with Eastern Wake County, you know, where uh, 264 comes from you know, Zebulon to Wilson on down, and then uh, 97, which is East Gammon uh, Avenue, cross, crosses 264, there's that Walmart right there uh, at that intersection uh, on the north uh, side of that intersection. And that's where this wreck occurred. And my client was getting ready. She worked as a pharmacy technician at this Walmart. She was getting in this, both, both, both vehicles were heading east on Gammon Street. And they were heading along here. At this point, the road splits into two lanes. It had been one lane. My client testified, she, she had, in her affidavit, she had been following him about, uh, about a mile before this happened. Uh, and he, where here it splits into two lanes. He gets in the left lane and she gets in, I mean, he gets in the right lane, she gets in the left lane and he's in front of her. She intends to turn left to go to the Walmart up here at this light here. When he gets about right here is when the U-turn occurs right here where we contend he turned in front of her. He's got uh, a different version of that. But this is where the wreck happened. The main line he testified, and it's identified on this exhibit. I wrote it down there, but when I wrote it, I asked him if this is accurate, and I told him I'm going to write this down, and he said, okay. The, the, the south side of Gammon Avenue here, and he put dotted lines, that's where the main runs. The... Uh, and by all accounts, he, he acknowledges, the city acknowledges, that had the main been ruptured along here, then it would be proprietary function. That's their argument, and they acknowledge that. They also say, that this, it's got Martin on here, where he uh, circled on Gammon Avenue, where he's, about where he was located when he saw the rupture on the uh, left side of the road, and he circled in, this, in that circle on the left side of the road, the location of the backflow assembly that, uh, where he says the rupture occurred. It's, it's under a hood there. Uh, so they acknowledge this whole, he, he drove 31 minutes to get there. The call comes out at 749, the wreck happens at 818. For this whole 31 minutes, the government says he's in proprietary function. But because he sees this and concludes what his intention is, uh, when he's making this U-turn, they say that he's transformed. The questions were asked earlier by the court, where is this valve? That, and he says in his own testimony and in his affidavit that he intended to close the city's valve. He was not going to do anything with this apparatus over here. And he said he's very clear about that. What he was going to do was come over here on this side of the road, having parked his vehicle over here, come on this side of the road, and that this is where the valve is. If you look at uh, the record on appeal, uh, page 86, it's got, that is exhibit C to uh, Hartley deposition. She's a city employee. They gave some background information on where the lines were, et cetera, et cetera. 
and I don't have a copy to hold up, but uh, looking on the computer here, there's the vows in question, and he testified in his deposition, was on the right side of the road, okay? It's over here on, on this side to his right. It's not over on the side of the road where the uh, backflow assembly is. And he identified this valve right here, well, on this exhibit, which it shows main line, and then it goes under the road. That's the city's line. That's the city's lateral line under, it's the mains going along parallel with the south side of the uh, 97 on Gavin Avenue. And then the city also owns the lateral lines that go over to the, uh, underneath the street and connect to a line where it's got the, ir the, uh, the regular line, the fire line, and the irrigation line coming off that. Same water's going all, all three lines. So, but the point is that the court raised, the valve he's dealing with is the city's valve. And to answer your question in his deposition, he said only a city employee can turn that valve. And if somebody, a member does not, uh, somebody that's not a city employee, messes with that valve, they'd be violating the law. So, uh, and you gotta have a special tool that only the city has in order to uh, turn that valve, so. Yeah, I, I think at parts of the uh, appellant's brief, they, they mentioned the purpose of the, the backflow is to kind of protect the rest of the water line. Was there ever after this a boil water advisory or water services disengaged to, to any other consumers? Is there anything on that in the record? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that, John. Uh, that that uh, didn't come out in the well, little bit of discovery uh, we were allowed to do. And I mean, it, it didn't come out in the deposition. Um, and I don't know the answer to that. But uh, in this case, uh, Your Honor, the, the facts are not in dispute. You know, uh, the, the facts are not in dispute. The law is not in dispute. Uh, the law is clear and it has been for many, many years, long-standing law, that operation of a uh, water distribution system by a municipality is a proprietary function. The uh, argument that your, your colleague the other table is making is that uh, it is a proprietary function. He admitted that, but when his, uh, the city's employee arrived and saw the danger to public safety, he changed his intent and purpose from one of proprietary to of governmental uh, service to the community for their protection and safety. That's the argument that he's making, I think. Right, right. That, that's, 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 that is their argument, Your Honor, and obviously we, we disagree with, with that for the reasons I've discussed. Um, this, uh, again, I don't, I don't see how this could be a workable, uh, a workable theory. They have admitted, I mean, and this really answers the case before we even get into all this other stuff. Uh, their admission and their answer to interrogatories, uh, and this is, I, I hope the court has this document, but uh, on record on appeal 276A. Uh, the reason there's a 276A is 
the record on appeal, the original record on appeal, did not have uh, the interrogatory, which is actually the most important uh, uh, document, I would say, in the case. Uh, in the record, for some reason, it was accidentally omitted. Uh, we didn't pick it up. Uh, uh, we were, of course, told that the, uh, and requested that the uh, and I, I look in there, but I think it's in all of our printed records. It is in there. Yes, okay. Uh, well, interrogatory 14 uh, states, the, the question is, in pertinent part, describe this with specificity the purpose of the vehicle trip Hall was on at the time of the collision. And then uh, at the time of the collision, and it goes on to say the destination of that trip and the departure point. They've got some objections, and then it says, without waiving objection, the city states that the purpose of the vehicle trip Mr. Hall was on at the time of the collision was to respond to a reported leaking or ruptured water main in the area of Murphy Gas Station on Highway 97 in the town of Zephyr. It goes on to say that while approaching the gas station, he concluded uh, that report of the leak was incorrect, et cetera, et cetera. None of that stuff there, none of that changes that first sentence about the purpose of the trip. The purpose of the, and none of it changes the purpose of the trip. The purpose of the trip <laughs> at the time of the collision was to respond to a reported leaking or ruptured water main. That was the purpose of the trip. Uh, and uh, so w we would say, submit that even uh, nothing else appearing, that, that pretty much answers uh, the question. If he was there to uh, respond to a leaking water main, and that was his purpose at the time of the collision, then it's proprietary function. There's no governmental immunity. That's pretty, pretty basic, pretty clear cut. Do you believe the response to that interrogatory is consistent with the affidavit of Mr. Hall that was submitted? I do because his his he just told what he saw and why he did what he did, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that doesn't change the purpose of the trip. The purpose of the trip is the purpose of the trip. Uh, so uh, I understand. I mean, they've never made a motion to uh, rephrase their response to interrogatory. Uh, you, you mentioned, it's verbiage, but sometimes the words matter, right? You mentioned before that they admitted in their interrogatory. An admission is treated differently than an interrogatory response. An interrogatory response can be modified later at trial. An admission, you're kind of stuck with that. Those, two, those are two different things. Okay. Well, I'll stand corrected, Your Honor. I shouldn't have used the word admission, I suppose, but... I, they, I get your point. I know what you're... Right. You, okay. I, I they, acknowledge, they, they acknowledge in the response to the interrogatory that the purpose of his trip at the time of the collision was to uh, respond to a reported uh, water leak. Is it, is it your position that the trial court did, inherent in its findings, did not believe this change in subjective intent on the part of uh, Mr. Hall or that it doesn't matter whether the trial court believed this change in subjective intent? Right. Well, as to getting into what the, what the trial court was thinking, uh, all, all I know, what I believe is that the trial court 
said, you can think, you can say you thought whatever you thought you saw or whatever, but you were at this, you acknowledged that the purpose of your trip was to, for, to respond to a reported uh, water main. Uh, you, we know and you've admitted that you were going to work on the city's apparatus, not the private apparatus. Uh, and I, as the trial court, uh, am deciding that this was a proprietary function and you know, granted, in another order, he mentioned credibility and all that, uh, but he didn't really—he didn't have to make any credibility determinations. Uh, I mean, he had enough information that it was uh, based on the facts. Even if you take everything that Mr. Hall said as true, uh, it's still a proprietary function. He's still there on proprietary mission. So, uh, I think you know that's now. On the other hand, if he had made a press credibility question and decided that on the jurisdictional uh, issue, that would be okay as the court pointed out at, the, at this Providence case, you know, if there's evidence to support the, the judge's decision and there's plenty of evidence to support his finding that it was proprietary function, uh, then the court should defer to his uh, ruling on that. And, and do we consider that proprietary function finding to be a finding of fact? Or do we consider that as a conclusion of law for us to be looking at de novo? Right. Uh, I've, I've learned a long time ago not to try to get in. I'm that. not playing gotcha. I'm asking. No, I, I, don't know, think I know. I know. I remember I was at the Fourth Circuit one time at Dixon Phillips. The guy, the other lawyers arguing about burden of uh, standard of review and all that. And finally, the judge said, look, don't talk to me about standard of review. Tell me why you think you're right. He said, we have a way of working that stuff out, okay? And, and so I've always remembered that. Well, I don't have lifetime tenure, so I, I don't really have that. <laughs> okay, but uh, I guess it may be, I, I'm not sure what it is. Uh, it's sort of a, it is a, uh, it is a finding, and I would submit well, and, and Let me ask why, why, why it matters a little bit more for, for trying to figure out if we, agreed with, with the city that this change in subjective intent momentarily as it was is relevant to whether he was still in a proprietary role or a governmental role. Wouldn't we need potentially to remand that for the trial court to make that credibility determination in the first instance to, because to, if subjective intent matters and becomes relevant, you know, we don't really have any determination by the court that we can really gain of whether he found Mr. Hall to be credible or not. Right. I, would I mean, submit, we have the other order, but not, not in this order. Yeah, I would submit that that's not necessary to remand it for that purpose. Uh, I think a hypothetical that might show that is, what if the city had sent somebody out there from the water department that was brand new? They didn't know which side of the road the water main was on. He goes out there, he sees some water, he, he don't know if it's coming from the main, he don't know where it's coming from. And he makes a U-turn and injures my client. It's proprietary, presumably, in that case. He's going there to investigate a water main. It depends. That's, that's the yeah. whole issue in the case. It depends on whether he saw that and says, oh, my gosh, it's going to freeze on the road and all these people are going to wreck, or whether he says, oh, my gosh, the pipe's leaking, we're losing money. Yeah, I, w I would argue that that... that that issue is not the, the determinative issue about, you know, 
if, if he, by the way, he says all this happened in his deposition in a split second. I, I, I don't know that he was uh, thinking at all, uh, you know, whether the city was losing money or whether the, uh, you know, exactly what. He, he said, all I thought, he said, was I need to close, go close that city back. Well, that's that's what he was thinking, and that's the city's property. Let's assume that the order, the judge's order, trial court judge's order, very brief, but that what he found, conclusion of law. So what we're left with is presumed findings of fact. We're presuming that he has made the appropriate findings of fact in outer space, wherever he's got them. What in, in, in your friend, the appellant says, there's nothing in the record that supports these presumed findings of fact. On your side, what do you proffer that says, okay, we presume that he made these correct findings of fact. What in the record supports the judge's findings of fact that support his order that's actually in the record? Uh, the, the findings of fact that he did put in the record? Well, I, I'm, I'm, assuming, well, those, the, I'm the, assuming those are, I'm treating that as a, his, his finding that it's proprietary function, I'm treating that as a conclusion of law. Okay. A, assuming I treat it that way, what in the record supports that conclusion of law? What findings of fact from the record would he, okay. would he I, use I, to support that? I think the, the presumed findings of fact would be that uh, the uh, city has uh, uh, not admitted but uh, conceded in the interrogatory response that at the time of the collision, he was responding to a reported water main leak and we and the city has acknowledged that responding to a water main leak is a proprietary function. That would certainly be a finding of fact that would support that conclusion that it was a proprietary function. Uh, uh, I think that, that uh, uh, I mean, that's, that's a big one, uh, the, 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 the fact that I guess that would be the most direct one, the finding of fact, uh, with the with respect to that interrogatory response. Uh, I think also, he could have, I mean, he could have found, I'm not saying he did, but he could have found if it were, and I don't believe it's a credibility question, okay? So I wanna make that clear. That I don't think he had to decide whether Mr. Hall was telling the truth or not when he said it was my intent to uh, go help them rather than to drive on, okay? Uh, even though I had concluded that it wasn't the city's problem, okay? But he could have decided if he wanted to that I don't, I, I think this guy uh, having read the rest of his deposition, et cetera, uh, that he, he uh, would have just turned around and gone back to the shop. I mean, he, there's evidence to support that. He said he could do that if he wanted to. Uh, and there's certain other aspects of his testimony on other issues that raise very serious issues about his credibility. Like, for instance, how the wreck happened, uh, where he says that she ran into the back of him when the photographs you'll see in the record on appeal clearly show that his truck was turned in front of her at the impact. So, uh, you know, he, he, this is all sort of. Well, that's what I asked you, yeah. Yeah, this is all sort of speculation, but yeah. he could have, he could have said, I don't believe this guy, 
Okay, and that's perfectly within the trial court's prerogative if he wanted to make that finding because there's evidence in there to question his credibility. Uh, now, as, as uh, the city said, argues, those issues about credibility are not uh, direct, uh, specific, directed specifically as to uh, what he was thinking, but as the court says, you're never going to get that. Uh, you know, to question somebody's uh, testimony, well, this is what I was thinking at a particular time. All we can do is look at what they did, but I think it'd be permissible for him to look at the, uh, his overall credibility and say, I'm not, I'm not accepting that. I'm, and, there's, and, and I think the court would be within his prerogative if he wanted to make that finding. So, I mean, that's a possibility too as a finding of fact. I would not encourage the court to make that as a, you know, as a, a, a finding that the court could have decided that because I don't think the court needs to go there. But uh, that's, you know, that's about the best I can do with that. The 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 other uh, points uh, that I wanted to touch on. And I think our brief uh, does a good enough job of refuting the, 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 uh, the city has relied on several cases that we have distinguished in our brief. And I think we've done, uh, uh, I don't think I need to get back through those. Uh, but I would just say in summary, uh, water distribution is a proprietary function. Mr. Hall, the city's employee was in the course and scope of his employment. Now, they've given a lot of examples about when somebody's doing something not in the course and scope. They have admitted uh, that he was in the course and scope of their, his employment. And I have a hard time figuring out some, even a hypothetical, where you're, you're, you're working in your job, doing what you're supposed to do in a proprietary function, and you're in the course and scope of your employment. Uh, but somehow or another, uh, you know, you're not responsible, there's, there's governmental immunity. So he was in the course, it's a proprietary function, he's in the course and scope of his employment. We know that working on a water main is a proprietary function. At the time of the collision, his purpose was to respond to a, a report of a ruptured water main. And the city's transformation argument has no case support uh, it is not logical, and it is not workable. Uh, immunity issue cannot be dependent on what the city employee who's engaged in a proprietary function in the course and scope of his employment contends was his subjective intent to do in the future when he offers it after the fact. Because he could say anything, and they can get immunity anytime they want it just by coming up with the employee intended to do something in the future that was governmental. Uh, the trial court uh, properly uh, found that Mr. Hall was engaged in a proprietary function and denied the city's motion to dismiss based on government, governmental immunity. We asked the court to affirm the trial court's decision and thank you very much. If there are other questions, I'll be glad to try to answer them. Thanks, sir. Thank you.
Troy, we'll give you about five minutes. Thank you, Your Honor. There's a wide range of things for me to address, so I'm going to just uh, skip around a bit, and I apologize. First of all, with regard to the um, purported admission, uh, a brief glance at the record would show that what the plaintiff appellee has done is they've selectively quoted from the discovery response and ignored the rest of the discovery response and ignored the position that the defendant's appellant have taken consistently throughout this litigation. The uh, portion, the remaining portion of the discovery response that Mr. Uh, my my uh, colleague here has uh, chosen to refer to as et cetera, et cetera, uh, while approaching the Murphy gas station, Mr. Hall concluded that the report of a leaking or ruptured water main was incorrect. While approaching the Murphy gas station, Mr. Hall observed water spraying from a damaged backflow prevention valve located at the corner of the Murphy gas station property. The damaged backflow prevention valve was not public property, but was presumably owned by the owner of the property upon which the Murphy gas station was located. Because the temperature was below freezing, the water spraying from the damaged backflow prevention valve was causing ice to form on the roadway. Employees from the town of Zebulon had already arrived at the Murphy gas station. The defendants appellant have never disputed that Mr. Hall's initial dispatch, uh, based on the initial dispatch, Mr. Hall believed he was going to be engaging in a proprietary function. However, as soon as he got to the scene and realized that, that's, that the initial dispatch was erroneous, there was no proprietary function to engage in at that point. There was no leaking public infrastructure. There was no leaking public water main. Where in the, the, the record is there a, a great description of what the scope of Mr. Hall's employment is? Everything I've seen seems to be just working in this proprietary role. Is there anything in the record that suggests his scope of employment includes governmental duties, such as preventing ice from freezing on the road? Well. Um, Mr. Hall's general duties have to do the, with the water distribution system. Um, that could include working on the water distribution uh, system at city buildings. And um, uh, insofar as the, the work would be done for the city building, um, I would think that that is, falls purely within governmental, um, uh, a governmental function. And to um, Mr. Um, uh, Mr. Plyler's point about uh, Mr. Hall having um, been within the course and scope of his employment, I'd like to point out that both governmental functions and proprietary functions fall within uh, employees, uh, within public employees. Well, they may, uh, but they don't necessarily. So I guess they, where do I need to look in this record to say this is the explanation of Mr. Hall's scope of his employment? Well, I believe uh, Mr. Wheeler's affidavit and Mr. Hall's affidavits are the only ones that they, that address Mr. Hall's scope of employment, um, and I don't know that uh, they d distinguish things down to that level of granularity. Uh, but th those are the places that I would um, I would look to for that. Um, and I, I hate to interrupt your rebuttal a little bit, but just one one more fact pattern: if if uh, Mr. Hall had gone out there, realized that uh, you know it's not leaking. Um, or say, say he, he saw the leak, went over and fixed it, um, got back in the truck, and is driving back to Raleigh. I mean, on the way back to Raleigh, is that a proprietary function when he's coming back to the shop? It could be, uh, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll acknowledge that. Um, it's really based on the moment in time at which the injury occurs, and that's what the court has said. Um, in the state of Williams versus uh, uh, XREL Overton versus Pasquotank County, 
Although an activity may be classified in general as a governmental function, liability and tort may exist as to certain of its phases, and conversely, although classified in general as a proprietary, certain phases may be considered exempt from liability. And in Jones versus Kearns, uh, even more to the point, um, the mission of the town's employee out of which the alleged injury to the plaintiff arose is the determining factor. Not what such employee was called upon to do at other times and places, but what he was engaged in doing at the particular and time and place alleged. So uh, the court has already addressed whether these, uh, uh, there can be what, what the uh, plaintiff appellee is calling a transformation. Of course there can be because it really depends on what the public employee is doing at the time of the injury. Um, and that can be either governmental or proprietary depending on what that activity is. The, we'll give you about, about 30, 45 seconds to wrap up. Okay, the use of the term subjective is also misleading here because the objective facts are sufficient to show uh, that the court lacks jurisdiction. The objective facts are the location of the water main, uh, the fact that the leak was not coming from the, the uh, public water main, was not visible on the, uh, by the public water main, that it was in fact coming from the private, the private property, that it was visible spraying from the private property. The, the plaintiff appellee has not challenged those facts. And that goes back to um, the question that was asked earlier about um, the findings of fact and the conclusions of the law made by the trial court. There simply are no competent facts uh, that um, could have been uh, relied upon by the trial court to deny the, the uh, defendant appellant's motion to dismiss. While the trial court does have discretion to determine the weight and sufficiency of, ev sufficiency of evidence, that discretion must surely be supported by some type of competent evidence, and that's what's lacking here. Thank you very much, um, uh, Your Honors, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. The um, defendant's appellant would ask that the trial court's uh, ruling denying their motion to dismiss be reversed. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you.